0: Hello again. Welcome to the Selling on eBay radio show. We're here to save you money, Mm -hmm. to increase your sales, and to have fun. This is Fake Announcer Guy, (laughs) saying here's Philip and Sherry. So that's uh, Sherry Smith and Philip Jackson, your hosts for the Selling on eBay radio show. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. And coming up in this week's show, we have Sherry. New changes to the best offer flow. Uh And uh, a question about uh, what do you put inside your packages... What is the price of a John Hancock these days? Whatever that means. And uh, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> do you want accurate colour in your images? And we'll have some suggestions as to how you can achieve that. Or coming up on this week's edition of the Selling on eBay radio show, and we'll start with some uh, eBay news for you. And, Sherry, I noticed something, and maybe this is something where people are going to say, oh, my goodness, you haven't just noticed that? It's been around forever. <laughs> But it's, it's new to me, so therefore it, it appears in news. And uh, I think it's a case of um, best offers. Uh, I don't see the any binding anymore. It used to be the case you made a best offer, the seller accepted it, and then it was yours and you just made the payment afterwards and or your payment was direct, I guess, depending on how you had it set up. That seems to have changed, but I can't work out if it's just some cases or... I don't know. It happened to me on one deal. So maybe it's an experiment. Maybe it's just being rolled out or tested. I don't know. So what happened was I made a best offer. The seller accepted it. I got an email saying, hey, seller's accepted your offer. Go ahead and make the payment. It, You know, well done. And usually I just tend to do all the payments first thing in the morning. So I tend to wait till the next day. Then I'm sitting at the computer with the money in it behind it. And I do all them at that one t- in a batch at that time. I happened to go back to the listing page uh, for some random reason, and it said, oh, this item is still basically available for sale. Until you pay for it? It it said at the top, the seller has accepted your offer, but it can still be purchased by other people until you make the payment. So I guess the two changes are, one, that the... process doesn't secure the item until you send payment they can understand some logic behind that but you have to communicate that and i think the email that they send you saying your offer's been accepted would be a great place to let the buyer know that's the way it works
1: yes but i'm confused because when i tried to make a best offer last week Mm -hmm. it said your card on file is expired And I could not add another card. And I wanted to pay with a $50 Visa card that I had. Ah. And it wouldn't let me update it. I tried, and it was glitching out. So maybe that's a glitch. The only reason I'm bringing it up right now is when you made the best offer, didn't it have a, a card on file that it was keeping to secure your item?
0: Um. For whatever reason, it didn't. Maybe we were going back and forth. Maybe it was um, some. It was some kind of negotiation, and I, I don't remember the exact flow. But I Ooh. didn't I hadn't given them a card. And sometimes I think if you're countering or something, maybe it doesn't doesn't require um, it. Um, but there was just the difference. The difference. The fact is that I didn't know. That my offer could be, that my thing could be bought by somebody else until I yes. went to the actual web page. And there's no reason why I'd ordinarily go back to the web, the, the listing page, mm. really forever. Um, so, anyway, one to watch out for. Obviously, they're trying to react to the feedback from sellers that people don't like unpaid items or they don't like people making offers and then taking the item out of inventory, effectively. So it's a way of kind of that middle ground, perhaps, of taking offers without necessarily having money behind it, but also not taking the item down until the thing has been paid. So I can see it makes sense. It's a, from a buyer's point of view, it's a little flaky, but, you know, it, they have to react to both buyers and sellers. So that's that was news to me, anyway.
1: Yeah, and it also prevented me from buying that item because I was going to use my gift card for my purchase and i finally found another one of them that was hmm. priced at the amount that i was going to offer and i just bought that one okay
0: so well, the gift cards the are best funny offering, aren't they the because step. they don't like being you you applying like a test charge to them which is quite often what happens with credit cards they like place a $1 hold on a card just to get that response back from the server that said, oh, yeah, this, this card number's been validated and the, the address and everything matches oh, up. Oh, maybe and,
1: that's why it said it can't be validated. And gift
0: cards, because they tend to be not registered to an address, they're just a floating number, tend to fail that test. So they're difficult to use in that kind of situation. Um, so gift cards, if you're, if you, unless you have a specific amount that you are going to make a payment on, that's, then I think this is what you did.
1: Right, with the, n- with the okay. one that was direct. And I mean, through eBay, it's just that someone with a best offer, I can't buy
0: theirs. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so that's that one. Maybe you've, you've encountered that. Maybe you've got a way around that. I mean, it might be a situation, and I hate to say this, where it is legitimately okay to contact the buyer and say, hey, just, just FYI, this is perhaps the new eBay process. And I I'm really appreciate your offer and I, I want to sell this to you. But just you need to be aware that you need to follow through and, and do the payment. Otherwise, there's a possibility that you might lose it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, worded correctly, I would not take offence. <laughs> and I'm pretty easily offended by what I feel is any, any chasing messages asking for payment. Yeah, that when you would say thank you. Uh, There you go. All right, Uh, now Sherry, we've had you uh, doing more research onto ever-changing field of uh, shipping prices, right?
1: Yes. So we talked about that UPS and FedEx were raising accessorial charges like signature and insurance, and the actual increased price for UPS is now five dollars and ninety cents. Oh, and FedEx know. is six dollars and seventy five cents. So
0: it's basically it's six or seven dollars, give or take. Yeah,
1: it's quite yep. a lot.
0: Yeah. So do you ever, Do you always demand I that? Use,
1: I use it for more expensive items. I do. Right, because just not for the.
0: So from, from eBay's policy point of view, if the total transaction value is less than seven hundred and fifty dollars, eBay covers you with just a regular proof of delivery getting a signature does not improve does not improve anything at all. eBay's It's eBay's risk below $750. And I would argue even getting a signature below that is actually making your position worse because then you give the buyer the op- opportunity to say, well, that's not my signature, I didn't sign that. Um, and now you've created a whole situation in limbo that you didn't have in the first place. So I would never consider getting a signature below 750. It's not my liability. Why would I pay six or is it $7 now? For something that isn't my risk.
1: As long as it says it was delivered, even uh, if the buyer says, well, I didn't if, get it. If the it.
0: buyer says, I didn't get it, that's their lookout. They can take that up with eBay, and eBay might grant them a, you know, some sort of refund out of their pocket, but not yours. You're covered. That's okay. seller protection.
1: Well, then, then I'll just start using it for the $750 and then requirement.
0: The $750, I think is... I mean, technically, it's a requirement that if you had a a not-received dispute, if it was the order value, that includes tax and shipping and everything, is over 750, your job as a seller is to provide signature proof of delivery in the event you get a not-received case. Question to you, Sherry, is, you've been at this a while. Do you get many not-received cases? No. What I get instead is, and this happened
1: a couple of months ago, where the item is actually lost and the tracking stops showing up, and that is not the same thing right? because it was never delivered.
0: Well, I'm with you. I've been, what, in the best part of 20 years of this. It must be thousands of packages, and my stuff's reasonably valuable. I don't think I've ever had to rely upon that signature to get me out of a hole.
1: I'm not sure I have either. I if it got lost, it got lost at UPS. I mean, you have problems, but that's never. It's never.
0: I've never had a large sum of money turn on that one signature ever that I can think of. I think I had one case where some guy said he couldn't find it and he was going to call eBay. Nothing ever came of it. That was that was. was, It wasn't even close to being a claim. It's just someone got someone couldn't find where the post office had left it or something. Mm -hmm. Um. So it's one of those things where is the business decision to just ignore it and take the risk rather than pay 6 or $7 for that extra protection, which in my experience, it sounds like yours too, is never, ever necessary. And if you do take a hit, when you take a hit, it's just part of business. Yeah.
1: And the other, the thing that I normally used it on were Louis Vuitton handbags that were couple thousand dollars but now I don't need it for that because they're being shipped to the authenticity guarantee-hmm gotcha. and if it says it's delivered there I imagine I'm protected
0: well also if it doesn't have a signature. probably because it's being delivered in a batch of deliveries at least one of which probably has a signature requirement usually what happens is everything that gets delivered in that batch, picks up that signature confirmation I'm not hundred really? percent certain of it but I think that's how it works because I will know I'll sign for stuff here and I'll say four items are delivered one is a signature. I think the other three pick up that signature because you just sign the tablet and says everything that arrived that day has been signed for ah,
1: so maybe I, I mean, it's
0: worth doing an experiment maybe you' if you don't get signature to the authentication center it picks it up by virtue of someone else's six or seven dollars.
1: Hey, you're making me think of my UPS guy Mm. and mailman. So can I just, I wanted to say one quick thing out of order. Sure. Please forgive me. But in the past, you asked, what is the appropriate amount for (laughs) a gift for your UPS person or Mm -hmm. mailman? And I think at the time I said $25 because I wasn't, they weren't picking things up for me. Well, now they pick things up for me every day. Okay. So- I felt like fifty dollars plus, like a, a little gift.
0: Okay, well that's very generous.
1: <laughs> Thank you, but they... the post
0: office against their rules. But I'm sure they're not going to file a complaint against you.
1: <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening. I think twenty
0: is the theoretical maximum, isn't it, for the post office? Yeah. Their policy.
1: Oh, is that right? I, I so. didn't even know they allowed that. Oh, well. well, it could have been done in
0: incre- increments. Just to, just to come back to topic here, if, uh, if, if, if we finish that little uh, diversion. We're done with that. Um, What I do do is if I think I'm going to skip the signature thing and I'm taking a risk, what I will sometimes do is just take a look using things like Google Street Maps or something at the delivery location and maybe form a judgment based upon that. If it's a five-bedroom mansion, on a big lot with a big windy drive, the likelihood of porch pirates trekking up and down the road looking for easy wins, probably fairly low. If it's a double-wide on a mobile home park on the wrong side of the tracks with bars on the windows, that's a different scenario. The other thing that I also think about is sometimes I get stuff that's delivered to data centres, these big concrete anonymous buildings where all the data companies and telephone companies all put their kit. Well, those Uh places, there's people coming and going all the time packages kind of sit around waiting for someone from this particular carrier or this this company to pick it up and take it into their caged area and you know it's very easy for stuff to be signed in or received and then somehow either go to the wrong company's site or someone just walks out the door with it you know it's all a bit loose there's people coming and going all the time no one would stop anybody just carrying a cardboard box in or out right right So in a situation where it's very much a shared environment, I feel there's a much greater risk of it finding its ways to somewhere where it's never going to be discovered anytime soon. And that's when I think I might consider splurging on my 6 or $7 for a signature because at that point, it's not my problem. As someone signed for it at that location, I'm covered. If someone else in the building walks off with it mistakenly thinking it's the one they ordered, I'm covered. They can they can sort that eBay can sort that out with the buyer. Yes. So that's my feeling, and I generally I don't think it's worth it. Unless the amount of money involved would just wipe you out and and cause enormous uh, upset, and you wouldn't be able to, you'd lose your house, and the couldn't eat for the next two weeks or something. That would be a concern.
1: Yeah. Then use it when it's eBay's minimum
0: that's requires it for definitely protection. below 750 it's just madness why why, why why and i get these all the time people put signature and direct signature adult signature and what are they <laughs> what, what risk are they trying to manage don't know anyway let, let's press on um a bit of a rant now. you and mean on one to... of
1: your peacocks can't <laughs> um sign that
0: um it has to be an, a human half well, the time i think the drivers sign it anyway don't they <laughs> they do around here, I think, or I think if you if you if you go on the intercom thing, I say I'm in the shower. Can you sign it? They go, okay, fine, we'll do that. So whatever. Yeah. By the way,
1: my FedEx guy did not get a present. He's not oh, very friendly. Okay. Well,
0: FedEx is all kind of um, it's all sort of casual labor freelancers, isn't it? They tend to eat, the rotation is quite high.
1: It seems that way, and he he does not like my dogs. He looks at uh. them with great disdain, whereas the UPS guy always leaves them treats when he has a delivery. He's a smart man. They look forward to him.
0: Uh, other things that have, have changed again. One of those things that's news to me, so maybe it's it's news to us. Got my first photo feedback. Ooh, how was it? Well, I don't get. I don't think I'm going to get very many because most of my stuff is one of a kind. So there aren't many listings where there's more than one, which is the only situation where you will actually see uh. the photo that the buyer's uploaded. Uh, and it was a, it was a positive one. It was some guy in Serbia, so he must have bought it through the eBay international shipping because I don't think I'd be sending expensive stuff to Serbia on my own on my own label. Oh wow! And he seemed very pleased. So he said he got there super quick. He was very happy, and he took a little picture of this thing on his table. How funny! I don't know and quite so why what the what the picture proves or how much help that is, or if it's. But anyway, he seemed happy, so that was good.
1: How did you know he was from Serbia?
0: Because he uh, gave it a plug in his little write up.
1: Oh, he said nice. uh, received that's here fun. in
0: Serbia super quick or something. So,
1: oh, that's fun. So it
0: seems to be there. I think the policy is that they will include the photo if it conforms to their guidelines. I don't believe there's anyone manually checking, but in theory they should uh, conform. And if it's the if it's still got a live listing with quantity for sale still, in other words, it's relevant to people's future purchases, then uh, they will they will post the feed the photo photo with your feedback. Good or bad, I believe.
1: You know, I could see that being fun if it was dog costumes or outfits. Mm-hmm. Something like
0: yes, that. Where, where there's some value add. You know, that the, the, the dog costume, for example, would nice with a dog in it. Whereas exactly. maybe in your listing it was just in a plastic pack. That would be nice. Right.
1: Exactly. And I do get conversations going with buyers asking what kind of dog I have. And mm-hmm. that's, that is that is a conversation I enjoy.
0: Good. All right, and what else we got here? Oh, uh, more more on feedback.
1: Yes, so now feedback says verified buyer under the buyer's user ID. We're not sure what the purpose is. (laughs) If you look at your own feedback, you uh, ironically don't see that, but looking at somebody else's feedback or if you're signed into another account and you look at yours, you'll see that it says verified buyer. So can
0: you think of a situation where... The feedback wouldn't be from a verified buyer. What
1: is a verified
0: buyer? (laughs) I mean, with eBay, the only way – I mean, they changed it many, many years ago. The only way you could leave feedback was to buy the item. You can't just randomly just leave feedback, which you used to be able to do.
1: You mean you could – you used to be able
0: to leave feedback without buying an item? I think so, yeah.
1: I also remember that you could be a buyer in the past – without being a verified buyer. Mm -hmm. But now, and being a verified buyer meant they did something to identify you and confirm your identity. But in the past, you could use a guest account. Yes. I don't know if that's what they're referring to, or are they just using the words that Amazon
0: uses? I think it's just, let's see, let's just copy Amazon. Let's not think about it too much. Uh, It makes no sense to me. Everyone's a verified buyer because you can't, leave feedback for an item that you didn't buy. So by definition, every feedback is verified anyway. I don't know really what they're trying to achieve other than look more like Amazon for some reason, um, which is fine, but really how much, how, much, how many hours do you think of very expensive people's time went into doing this? And is that really the most important thing they should be working on at a time when fees seem to be going out of control? And they're laying people off because they don't seem to have money to pay the payroll. Is this why did this project get through the filter against that background and not something that I would think is more important? The only
1: thing I can think of is even though it me- means nothing to us, it makes eBay look more like Amazon. And mm-hmm. so Amazon is the standard. So maybe there is purpose in that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, maybe I, uh, I think I'm reasonably familiar with the platform. So it does seem strange to me that I would, anyone would think the feedback wasn't from a verified purchaser. (laughs) I've never seen anyone with their feedback, you know, those, those, those acidic replies saying, Oh, this is not a valid, not a verified purchase. This person didn't ever bought from me. You know, it's not really a defense that people use very often.
1: Do you remember the days when, there actually were buyers without a verified address and and then there were buyers yes. that had a ver it was a so paypal
0: thing wasn't it
1: maybe that's what it is is that it was a paypal thing so it really doesn't mean anything anymore
0: no it's, okay. I don't know. Okay. What do you think? Uh, you can get in touch. Leave us a voicemail maybe. It's uh, 833 eBay 723 for the number. That's 833 eBay 723. Have you got any thoughts on that one? Uh, and I said we, I'd, I'd sold something via EIS, which I'm now using selectively. It's kind of tough to, to use to this guy in, I think it was Serbia. Here's a weird one. It came up today. A guy from Finland contacts me and says, this is weird, mate. You've got two listings for this particular type of sound card. One is with a cable and one is without, and cable is a bit more expensive because some people can make their own cables. And everything's pretty much the same. It's the same category. Everything's the same, apart from the, the description difference. And he says, well, this is weird because I can I can buy one and not the other. And I look into that, and yeah, he's right. Uh, eBay International Shipping is showing him one item as being deliverable and the other as not being deliverable. That is so strange and I can see no I mean they're not that different widely different apart actually no, the more expensive used. one is the one that he can buy both used you know I don't know it's just um, it's just weird this random blocking of stuff out of the US by the I, I, I if he lived in Belgium for example, he could buy it. So I don't know what Finland is doing at their end what policies they have set up that would somehow discriminate between these two different versions of almost exactly the same item that permits one and not the other and how that policy differs from everyone else in Europe that seems to be okay with what I'm doing.
1: Wow. eBay is putting... Thank goodness they are doing this international shipping for us with all the changes that are going on globally or it would probably be impossible for the layperson, meaning right. me and not you, well, it's a to mixed bag. ship internationally without eBay intervening.
0: Because they're still blocking 96% of my stuff going to the UK. Mm.
1: And then are you able to do it with your own shipping?
0: Well, yes. EBay, but then eBay? I have to change the listing to self-fulfillment. And then that means the other guys in the rest of Europe now get to pay USPS rates. Oh, shoot. So it's a, it's a toss-up. Do I, do I cut off the UK, which is a reasonably big market, and go with the rest of Europe, or do I give UK something they wouldn't otherwise get and, and give the rest of cut Europe off. a more expensive... It's just Ugh. nuts. It's just nuts. And you can't get a sensible answer from eBay as to what's really going on, which makes me think it's internal politics more than anything else. That's so weird and, because you could put both, right? Well, what I have to do now with a listing is I list it, I bring it up, and I get a shipping quote for, you know, a country, a couple of different countries, and it'll either it either come up. Let's say I listed by default as eBay international shipping. I'll then have to bring the listing up, put my destination as as Belgium or UK or something, and then start seeing which countries it says contact the seller for a shipping price, mm. which basically means we're blocking that because it's never going to show in search. Uh, and then decide based upon that little poll of of countries as to what I'm going to do, whether I go back into the listing and make it self fulfillment and take it off eBay international shipping, which may appear as an option when some buyers check out, but it doesn't appear when they do the you know the the price plus shipping search sort option. So it's uh, it's, it's it's effectively worthless because the buyer will never see it until after they've made the purchase. Okay. So it's frustrating. Um and it's really weird. I have no explanation. I can't even work out what's going on with it. Again, if you have some expertise or thoughts or theories as to what's really going on, uh you can shoot us a note. Uh the website is cellcellcell.online for any uh, any comments that you want to make on that one. Um okay, let's talk about some other stuff. Um now Cherry, when you send stuff out, do you put packing slips in? Do you put any kind of promotional material in there? What's your, what's your general policy? I don't put packing slips.
1: Mm. And I know it's just extra paper for people to throw away. Exactly. But I do have a postcard ah. that I had made, and it gives my email address, my phone number. And the purpose for me is letting them know that I do consignment sales, and I also train people on how to sell on eBay. Mm. And I have actually gotten some clients who buy this certain type of clothing that I sell. That is this just certain group Mm -hmm. of people. And they have some of it and they're buying it from me and they have some they'd like to sell. And then uh, they end up, I end up selling for them on consignment. So that's my purpose for doing it. And you, you put in a postcard, but you have a whole different
0: yeah, on yours. I like you. I don't do the packing slip. I, to, the first thing I do, uh, I mean, right, so I toss the packing slip in the bin without even reading it because I can see what it is. Um, so I, I just tend to use the way I behave as a buyer to kind of inform the way that I choose to sell. So yes. I don't do that. To be honest, I don't really care for the eBay layout of the packing slip. You can't really customize it. You can't really brand it very much. It doesn't look very impressive. Yeah, um, And I think it's more of a negative bought. impression. I mean, yeah, so I, 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 I unless there's some reason to do that, um, I, I t- don't do that. But as you say, I do put a card in. But my card is more about trying to promote my own web store mm-hmm. because I would like them, if they want to reorder, to come back via the web store because I'm not then paying the ever-increasing fees to eBay. And that's a legitimate use of marketing that it, eBay doesn't have a problem with you putting stuff in the box. Right. Um, and basically the sales pitch is, look, you know as far as I'm concerned, you get the same product, the same service, but I can save you money. And particularly now with eBay charging sales tax everywhere, I only have to charge sales tax in my home state of Florida. So the other states, the 49 of them, uh, I'm not going to charge sales tax. So that's an instant, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight percent, maybe more, they're going to save buying direct. Now also, the prices are a few percent lower net of the difference in shipping blah 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 so yes it's a it's a financial argument to come via the web store where i can get them and i can also then in theory have their direct contact information if i'm not quite so lazy i could use that to market to them and do whatever i want to do so yes and if you've if you've thought about this i think it's not a bad idea i just thought i'd share with you kind of how much i was paying for these cards um yeah and I ended up buying a vast number now, because uh-huh. it's, it's once once they've got the machine running, it costs almost nothing to have them run a few more thousand off whilst they've got the machine yes. whizzing away in the corner. So normally I buy them for batches of about seven hundred and fifty, which keeps me going for a year or more, I think, something like that. Uh huh. And normally, and the price of seven hundred and fifty, I think, was about eighty bucks. So it's it's, a, it's it's about ten cents a card at that level.
1: Yep. Yep, that sounds right And I
0: shopped around a bit This is Vistaprint But I don't think there's much difference That's about the going rate mm-hmm. However, I toyed around with the side And figured that if I bought 3,000 Which will keep me going well into the next life Don't uh, tell me you, s- you save 2 cents It's only like 120 bucks for 3,000 So the, uh, it's, oh, uh, it's only what? like 50% more To go from 750 to 3,000 cards Wow, So my So my, my cost per card is now like 4 cents As opposed to 10 cents Wow. So, and maybe, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you could kind of combine them and make them a general business card or something, but I think that would conf- people are only going to give it like one quick glance. So you really have to sort of have a pretty bold message, I think, because that'll end up being tossed in the bin with everything else, right?
1: Yeah, I have a big, shiny a postcard the size that yours is. It's like a little bigger than three by five. Yeah, I that's think. about right, yeah. And why not? You're shipping to them. Is there anything that is worthwhile to you to market?
0: I've got to the point where my orders are kind of split 50-50 between eBay and the direct web store, and that's been fairly static. But mm-hmm. I think the cards certainly help ramp it up to that number. It, I'm struggling a bit to push it much higher, but at least people have know they have the choice. And 50% that's, that's, is a lot. That's impressive. So, yeah, I mean, that's obviously that's coming Shopify. in via Google as well. So, okay. I don't know to what extent this is it's the cards and it's a repeat business. I think the repeat business, you can say that's probably the card doing that. Uh, there's obviously a fair amount of sort of first time buyers as well, which I guess is nothing, nothing to do with the card. I think it's reasonably professional. I think it looks good. I mean, it also gives a direct contact, an email address if someone wants to reach out directly, and my name. And I think that helps.
1: Yes. By the way, on this note of personal information, mm. do you know that when and I know this is true for the freight items that I, the commercial equipment, I have to communicate with them and give them the freight carrier's information, and when they buy it from me, mm. I can send them a message in my awaiting shipment area.
0: Mm. I
1: can click contact buyer, yes, yes, and I can send them his email address, my email address, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. phone numbers. Mm-hmm but even after he buys it if i go to messages hmm. and reply to a message he sent there i cannot give him contact information That's interesting so i just wanted to throw that out there if you need to communicate with your buyers with personal information after they've bought it you have to go to your sales record and do it there interesting
0: i don't think i've run into that once the once the once the payment's been made i've not run into problems but I, I don't know. Maybe they just run but the. Do maybe do you they run contact
1: the, them through your sales record? The, I mean, I wonder. I
0: don't know. I've Are I've I have exchanged information with people, and th- there's been some other ulterior motives here and there. I usually I sort of said, "Well, could you email me a copy of the a photo? I can't see enough detail in the one on the site or something." Here's my email
1: address. Oh, a little sneaky. And thing. then
0: and then if someone were to read that and look, it looks fairly innocent. Whereas what happens after that, who knows? (laughs) Right. Um, uh, But yes, I run into the, the, this appears to be exchanging personal information. We want to remind you of eBay's policy sort of pop up. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I I don't think I recall seeing that too often after the payment's been made. I don't know. I have to run some tests. Okay. See if my account gets closed down. (laughs) No. All right. Uh, where are we here? Oh, yes. Um, now, you've been involved in, yet again, uh, more research for eBay.
1: Yes. You are their, was... their,
0: their full-time guinea pig.
1: That's right. I love it so much. Uh, oh, and I, I'm i not going to say what I was about to say. I might get in trouble. So, But what I did want to share was that this feedback through third party was all done without interacting with the eBay employees and, And it was just a recorded session of me talking and giving my feedback Hmm. about these new potential features as I came across them and just sharing what I was thinking. But I thought it was interesting because it was just fully recorded and then given to eBay. And so there were no eBay employees involved in that process. That saves them some manpower.
0: That's certainly because quite often don't they have like a whole panel of people, there's like four or five on your screen, (laughs) there's 26 that are hidden somewhere else, you know, sort of behind the virtual one way glass. Yeah. Watching you muck around with your mouse or whatever, taking copious notes as to how dumb this person is and why they didn't see what they're (laughs) supposed to see or whatever. Whereas this, you can do the privacy of your own home.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it records everything that I say and how, how dumb I am, but then they can
0: just watch it later. I can imagine that being a hugely more efficient way of doing it.
1: Yeah, I would think so. Okay, and so you well, know, that's good. eBay is getting our feedback. I'm doing the best I can.
0: They do a lot of this. Uh, what do they call it? UX, UI research, user experience, user interface stuff, uh-huh. where they want to see how you navigate pages and go look up something, and they see which which route you take to get the stuff, and you know how they could how they could simplify that. I mean, they are quite into that. Yeah, they do that a lot. At well, least they were before those people got laid off. But <laughs>
1: well, maybe they're doing it in this other way now.
0: All right, all right. Um, let's move on to we. Yes, we got some. Well, this is our little advice section. And uh, why don't we follow up part two of what we talked about last time? And this is about a response to people saying, "Well, how do I get accurate color?" This is a slightly more technical approach to it, but uh, it's worth thinking about if you're doing a lot of product photography. And last time, Shari, we spoke about just using a test target and your camera's white balance to get the thing in the camera right. So you've now got an image that correctly records the right amount of red, green, and blue. No sort of excess of one or the other. So it's a perfect image to start with. But the worst thing you can do now is bring up that image on your monitor and not have your monitor accurately set So you then start tinkering with the image, making it darker, more contrasted, getting rid of that nasty old red color cast, and end up making it worse than when he started out. Because to your eye, it looks fantastic. But when everybody else gets it, they go, oh, wow, that's kind of blue. I I wasn't expecting to see that color. Um, So the second part of how to get accurate color is after you calibrate your camera, now we go on to calibrate your monitor so that you can then make adjustments and know that, with a high degree of probability that, on average, people will see the same image that you saw. Couple of different ways you can do this. One is simple and free and rather basic, but it works. And that's just to use the Windows internal color calibration. You just go to Windows settings. I think if you start typing calibrate color, it will come up with something. And it's pretty basic. It just takes you through a bunch of things on your screen to check the the how bright your screen is where your contrast is set what they call the gamma which is how um, ha, how the luminance changes over the, the the lightness range and more perhaps most importantly the red green and blue balance because it basically shows you some gray bars and it says is, are these blues do they have a blue tint to them or red tint or a green to them and you sliders move sliders around until you think you've got a nice even gray no particular overtones of color and basically that's it. Uh, no. And that's that's worth doing, I think, just about it for anybody. It's not that difficult to do. And over time, eyes get better, I think, at detecting very slight color shifts. Uh, so that's a very straightforward system. If you haven't done it, just go to your Windows settings, um, go to start typing in Calibrate Color, and, and follow that process. And at the end, it'll give you a chance to compare the previous version versus what you now have. And if you don't like it, you don't have to stick with it. You can kind of compare the two. However... To start to move towards the next level on this stuff, rather than using your eye to look at the screen and go, oh, that's kind of blue. Let's take the blue down a little bit. You can stick a sensor on your screen and actually measure it. So we're not using subjective measurement. We're using an actual scientific device. Sounds kind of complicated, but you can get these things used on eBay for like 40-something dollars now. I'm thinking of uh, they're called Spider Four, Spider Five. Not the current model. That's S P Y D E R, mm. uh, but it works very well. And
1: what's it called? Spider Four Color Calibrator. It's Data
0: Color Spider Four. But you can you can mm. Google it. If you just do Spider Four, Spider Five, you'll come up with stuff. And it mm-hmm. could be in the forty to fifty dollar range. But you you can use that to calibrate all your computers and redo it from time to time. It's probably a good investment. So the way it works is that you buy this thing. It comes with a program you can download. I think uh, CalMonitor is the program I prefer to use, a third-party program, uh, free. Uh, You load that up, you plug in your sensor, and what it does is it sends to your screen a bunch of different calibrated colors, like all green, all blue, all red, or some combination, at different light levels. And you have this thing which you basically press up against your screen, and it measures what actually the screen reproduces. So it's it, it sends what it knows are certain colours, and it actually measures what the screen actually renders, which is not always the same as the numbers you put in. And then it says, okay, well, this your screen runs awfully green. Let's dial back the green for these kind of light settings, and we'll basically tune windows to your particular monitor so that everything now looks perfect. And it takes a little while to run and it'll, it'll flash different colors at this thing and you leave it for 20 minutes and you come back and it says, do you want to load the new color profile? Yeah, yep. And everything should look good. Wow. So I think that's if you're serious about this, compared to rushing out and buying a brand new camera because your photos don't look good, this might be a very good way of getting an improvement to your images, um, particularly if you have a nice lighting rig that's set, that's nicely nailed down, doesn't change, you've got your camera set up, calibrated, the white balance, this is the next step. And you can get these sensors, like I say, pretty pretty cheaply secondhand, nothing wrong with buying a secondhand one. And just some sort of practical tips I, I find is, firstly, you want to have the sensor picking up just the light that's that's being sent to it by the test images. So the first thing I do is make the test squares nice and large so they're they're much bigger than the sensor, so there's not sort of funny colours creeping in around the edge. Uh. And then I use masking tape or something to, to make sure I stick the sensor to my screen. I want a nice, clean um, connection between the two. I don't want light creeping in from outside that might affect the results, particularly the lower, the lower lightness levels. And I turn the room lights out. They're Not always keen about you doing that, but I find the room lights out works better. And you tape it in there, you set the thing running, you go off, make yourself a cup of coffee, and you come back 20 minutes later. It says, I've done all the thing, done all the calculations. Do you want to load the new thing in? You go, yep. And everything should look great. Wow.
1: No wonder you don't want people stealing your photos. (laughs) You've done a lot of work. Yes. Well,
0: I mean, in theory, you should be doing it rechecking it every now and again I mean I think it's probably mm-hmm. good for a year to be honest um, yeah um, but it does it does make a difference and the thing that I find is useful is it sort of gets the right contrast so that's the thing that's hard to know whether you're getting right You, know, you I can set something up on my screen that looks yeah the, the lights are nice and white and the dark's are nice and dark I can see shadow detail and then when you watch it on your monitor um, it, it just looks all blacked out and you can't see any detail so you've got the yeah. best chance of getting the right level of detail. The other thing also I think I, I discovered was the to start with, set your monitor back to the factory default settings because mine had all sorts of weird things i dialed in over the various months and years of playing around with it. Mm-hmm. Actually, when I put back to factory default, it looked a lot better than the way I was using it before. Oh, that's and funny. then you're not having to put too much of a change in. So it's kind of get it have a clean start point and then do your tweaks from there rather than try and make huge adjustments with the uh, calibration system. Anyway, so hopefully that's clear. If you need more or you want me to get into more detail or take a particular question, you're more than welcome to get in touch. Uh, Phone works, if you like. It's 833, eBay is 723, and uh, we can get into more detail on that. Um, and in the spirit of having tip. some tips, want you want to chip in a tip here?
1: Okay, mine is totally different thing, but I have a website. I don't sell products on another, on my own site, Mm. but I have a website that is just, you know, me being an eBay seller. And the purpose for that is so that people will find me if they are looking for someone to sell their items. So what I've learned is that there is, doesn't seem to be a huge percentage of consignment sellers out there. Mm -hmm. And since you may buy and resell then the question is, would you want a website? And I do think that you would because some of the people that contact me would be even happier if someone just bought and resold their items. So, this is a great way to get more merchandise from your local community. And I say local because my website, and don't spend a ton of money. Uh, I did not spend a bunch of money, I had a college student. Who made it?
0: Are you willing to share kind of what sort of budget people might want to have in mind for a basic website?
1: Okay, so I've heard people quoted like $10,000. I think I paid $1,000. Okay, all right. And I have multiple pages, it's got a blog on there. But what the person didn't do apparently was properly add meta tags. Ah. So another person actually for free. Just threw in some meta tags so that when somebody Google's eBay seller Boulder, um, for example, I come up because if you want to compete with just an eBay seller throughout the whole United States, that is extremely difficult. And like for example, if you were going to pay for Google AdWords for that, it would be very expensive. Uh-huh. To pay per click. But if you do it just for your local area, actually, you can own most of that market. And that is the so, not only am I recommending that you have a website um, to get more merchandise, but to have meta tags in there specifically for your location. And I get people, I get a person at least once a week Mm -hmm. who has different things that they want me to sell. And most of those people would be happier if I made them an offer Mm -hmm. and bought and resold their items. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that this is only for people who want to sell in consignment, although I do and get a lot of consignment items that way. And I got a client who have a $10,000 a Breitling watch that I sold for $10,000. I mean, I've gotten a lot of really good Mm -hmm. items this way.
0: So it's a a positive return on investment for your 1000
1: Yes. And if you're thinking, well, I have plenty of stuff to sell that I barely have enough time for, but do you have good stuff and expensive stuff? Mm -hmm. And the more that you're marketing, the higher your end your items can be. So say no to the low ones and say yes to the high ones and having a website will help you get So it's
0: all part of that create the right expensive. impression and constantly try and find more valuable or prior price stuff to get a better return on your time.
1: Yes. And also your website can create credibility for you. Same yes. Um and which mine does enough for a stranger to give me thousands of dollars worth of
0: items. And when you hire someone, did you specify that you want to have the source files at the end? So if you need to go back and change something later on, you can go in there and edit it and you have the access to all the data to do that?
1: That's a great point. So, yes, it was uh, created using WordPress and I have a login to it and I have access to it. All right. And I don't have time to manage it. So I'm currently paying a company $100 a month. And then whenever I need, is that a lot you're making I face? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then whenever I need changes made, um, they make changes for me. I, I think I need Philip to come and help me the with my The main thing budget. is though
0: that you you don't get sucked into, you know, being then hooked into someone that you then can't separate from later on, that you have access right. to your own site. If you want to go host it somewhere else because the guys that are hosting it right now get outrageously expensive. You can do that. And the good thing with WordPress is that it's probably the most widely used language, if that's the right word, for for these kind of things. And you can find any number of people, freelancers, who can probably do a good job if you can give them access to the site.
1: Yes. And the website's on my signature line, on my Mm -hmm. emails. Mm -hmm. So with businesses that I'm selling for, they can look at it and then
0: see who i am all right very good so that's uh, sherry's tip for this week thank you for that always a good source of advice we'll have more tips uh, next time on the selling on ebay radio show uh, a little bit of a diary notice here sherry you've got a meetup coming up
1: yes on thursday february 8th at we're meeting at bj's in boulder and there's eight people registered
0: okay sounds fun yeah and uh, if, you, if you're in the Orlando area, don't forget, uh, we're holding one of our little informal uh, seller get-togethers at, uh, the, on the 20th of uh, February, that's Tuesday, or a Tuesday, uh, at uh, Firebird's Bar and Grill in uh, Winter Park in Orlando. Hopefully, look forward to seeing you there. And that's about it for this week's edition of the show. Philip and Sherry saying thank you very much indeed for joining us. Don't forget, uh, you can stay in touch if you like. Just use our little website. That's sell, sell, online. So from me, Philip, have a great week. Speak to you soon.
1: And from Sherry, thanks for joining (laughs) us.